Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Lab Rats. I hope the semester is going well for all of you. And because the semester is almost over, I know you are coming up on the reproductive system or have already done it in your anatomy and physiology classes. So I've decided to redo and add to a previous episode on the topic. Today I'm going to go over some helpful tips for finding structures on the female cadavers and tell you all about the ovarian and uterine cycles focusing on the hormones at play in female reproduction. First for the cadavers. When you take the practical, I always recommend you bring gloves and use your hands to feel structures rather than just looking. This will give you a lot more information because sometimes after death and body preservation, internal structures can be difficult to differentiate by sight and can all look like the same color. This is especially helpful if you have a hard time finding the ovaries. When you first take a look inside the abdomen, you will most likely have to move some intestines aside in order to find the female reproductive tract. Once again, I advise you bring gloves so that you can do this during the exam. But once you find the pelvic cavity, you will see a round organ sitting low in the pelvic cavity, and this is the uterus. It will likely appear to be slightly shiny and firm. Provided that your cadaver didn't have an operation such as a hysterectomy, this should not be too hard to locate. If you follow the horizon line of the uterus to the left or right, you will come to a band of tissue that extends laterally away from the uterus. These bilateral structures are the fallopian tubes, and you should double check to make sure that you have the tube by looking to the end, where you will see a slight widening of the tube and the fimbrae. The fimbrae are small projections at the end of the fallopian tubes. Some people say they look like feathers or wee little flowers. Personally, I think they look like mini sea anemones. I say you should double check finding the fimbrae because the ovarian ligament and some blood vessels also take a similar path and could possibly be confused. Once you find the end of the fallopian tube, the ovary is very close by. You should find a slightly firm and bumpy structure, a bit larger than an almond, and check to see if it is attached to either the ovarian ligament connecting to the uterus or to the suspensatory ligament, which runs superior of the ovary, suspending it. The tissue directly covering the ovary is the tunica albuginea, just like on the testicles. Overlying that is the germinal epithelium, which is made of simple cuboidal cells. One other thing you may see, depending on how the dissection was performed, is the broad ligament. This is a thin and, as the name implies, broad sheath of connective tissue that encases the ovaries, fallopian tubes, and other ligaments. If this is still intact, you can find the structures described above in the same manner, except you will have to rely even more on the sense of touch as it will be hard to see the specific structures. I'll be right back with some information on hormones and cycles after this very short advertisement that makes this podcast possible. Welcome back, and now that you know what you're looking at, I will explain how it works. When a female human is born, she already has a lifetime worth of eggs, but they remain dormant until puberty and menarche. These follicles are called primordial follicles. Once puberty has taken effect and the reproductive cycle has evened out, a woman will go through the ovarian and uterine cycles approximately every 28 days. However, there is a lot of variation between women, some having longer and shorter cycles, but for now we will use a 28-day cycle as an example. On day one, marked by the beginning of menstruation, the uterus goes into the menses phase, meaning that the endometrium or functional layer of the uterus is destroyed by the restriction of blood flows as spiral arteries supplying the endometrium degrade. Eventually, these arteries leak, allowing blood to sweep away the remnants of the endometrium. 
The basal layer remains as the circulation to this tissue is not compromised and thus it persists through menses. This menses phase generally lasts five to seven days, although the flow of menstruation may vary significantly between women. Around day seven, the uterus switches gears and the endometrium is reestablished by the growth of a new functional layer and associated glands stemming from the basal layer, which was preserved through menses. This process is influenced by estrogen, which would be released in increasing amounts at this time, but we'll get deeper into the ovarian cycle shortly. At around day 14, when ovulation occurs, the uterine secretory phase begins. This phase of the cycle involves some last touches on the endometrium, such as enlarging of glands and uptick of their secretion, and the elongation of the spiral arteries, which project into the functional layer and supply those tissues with circulation. These are the same arteries that constrict during the menses phase. At about day 26, the activities of the secretory phase peak and the following days decline until the whole show starts again with menstruation or the menses phase. So now that we know all about the uterine cycle, let's turn our focus to the ovarian cycle. The first 14 days of the ovarian cycle are referred to as the follicular phase. We'll start with the first half of the follicular phase. As you should already know, females are born with all the eggs they will have in their life. These eggs are surrounded by undeveloped, underdeveloped follicular cells that make up primordial follicles. During a typical 28-day cycle, some of these primordial follicles and primary oocytes are acted upon by follicle-stimulating hormone, FSH. Follicle-stimulating hormone is released by the anterior pituitary. If you don't know what I'm talking about at this point, go ahead and listen to the episode I did on the hypophysial portal system where I used FSH as a specific example. But anyways, the effects of FSH is to recruit, mature, and enlarge primary follicles containing theca cells and granulosa cells. Theca cells secrete the precursor to estrogen called andostenedione. When, which is then converted to estradiol, a type of estrogen, by granulosa cells. Granulosa cells also provide nutrients to the developing oocyte. This collection of cells makes up the zona pellucida, several layers deep surrounding the oocyte. As this process progresses, the lucky follicle will develop into a secondary and eventually tertiary follicle, meaning that the cells surrounding it increase in size and number. So as the menses phase of the uterus is underway, FSH is stimulating the division of theca and granulosa cells early in the cycle. However, it soon begins to taper off the levels of FSH, that is, as another hormone from the anterior pituitary slowly rises in concentration, although it doesn't really get too high at this point. LH, or luteinizing hormone, triggers ovulation when it reaches a threshold level. However, estrogen is also in play as it is increasingly released by the granulosa cells. Estrogen stimulates the production of FSH and LH, but inhibits their release. One more time for the people in the back. Estrogen stimulates the production of FSH and LH, but inhibits their release. If you are looking at the hormone versus time chart, which I strongly suggest, you may notice that FSH decreases a bit more than LH in the second half of the follicular phase. This is because both estrogen and inhibin, which is also released by the developing follicle, 
affect FSH more so than LH in terms of suppression. As estradiol steadily increases, it reaches a peak level around 14 days. This triggers an event called the luteal surge. At this threshold level, estrogen no longer has the inhibiting effect on FSH and to the most degree LH, and it thereby triggers the release of these hormones in epic amounts. On a side note, reaching this threshold level and the following events are an example of a positive feedback loop. So anyways, this great release of LH is called the luteal surge, and that triggers the breakdown of the follicular cells surrounding the oocyte, allowing for the ova to be released from the ovary. After ovulation occurs, around day 14, the luteal phase begins. Estradiol begins to slowly drop while progesterone increases. Progesterone increases because the cells of the follicle that just released the ova remain in the ovary and begin to produce more and more progesterone. At this point, this collection of cells is called the corpus luteum. That's Latin for the yellow body as it appears yellowish in color. The corpus luteum continues to produce estrogen and inhibin in relatively high amounts, as well as progesterone in even greater amounts. This allows for the secretory phase of the uterus by stimulating the growth of the endometrium, as well as inhibiting the secretion of FSH and LH. In the last days of the cycle, all hormone levels decrease back to the starting baseline, and a new cycle is begun with menstruation. And if you're wondering where the corpus luteum went, the cells atrophy and become non-functional, causing the drop in hormone levels at the end of the cycle. From that point on, it is, ref- it is referred to as the corpus albicans, as the atrophied non-functional cells appear white, albicans being Latin for um, white in color. So there you have it the ovarian and uterine cycles. Um, I would highly recommend if this topic is confusing to you that you get out a chart or draw out your own chart of how the hormones fluctuate throughout the cycle and then go through one at a time hormone by hormone understanding its effects and then try and piece it all back together because a lot of people get confused looking at that chart gets intimidating um, and it's hard to understand it all in one big chunk so break it down make it a little easier on yourself and for the love of all that is good please remember your gloves when you come to practical (laughs) all right guys that's the end of the episode i hope that that was helpful and i wish you a wonderful rest of your semester and a happy upcoming summer break which i'm sure everyone is ready for by now All right. Bye, guys.